This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Simple Church, and as we continue, I just want to do a real brief recap. Uh, we've been looking at the passage from Acts chapter 2 that talks about the birth of the, the early church, and, and remember we go back to Jesus telling his disciples, go and make disciples, but before you go, wait for the gift that I've promised to give you, the Holy Spirit, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, it's go time. And so that happened, that happened at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they began proclaiming the truths of God in, in foreign languages. The crowd heard the truths proclaimed in their own languages and this huge crowd gathered. And, and Peter took the opportunity, well there's a crowd here so I'm just going to go ahead and, and proclaim the truth uh, of Jesus Christ. And he did that and there was this amazing, miraculous response. 3,000 people are cut to the heart. 3,000 people say to Peter, what should we do now? And he says, repent, make a U-turn, be baptized. Every one of you, this promise is for you, it's for your children, it's for all who God will call. And so 3,000 people join this fledgling community. I think for the, the disciples, that must have been a, a tidal wave of euphoria. Like, you know, Jesus had once told them, you're going to do greater things than even I have done. And I'm sure they didn't believe him. But here, they're only one sermon in to this, this new thing, and 3,000 people are pro proclaiming trust in Jesus. And so I imagine them celebrating, I imagine congratulatory high fives, and, and they're smiling. And I also imagine that it's right in the middle of like a congratulatory high five that it dawns on them, 3,000 people. Like, what now? What, what do we do with 3,000 people? Because they knew that the call was not make converts. Jesus never said, go make converts. Go get people to say a prayer. Go get people to sign on the dotted line. Jesus said, make disciples. Make practitioners. Make people who are following the way, the way of Jesus. And so they're, they're celebrating, and then they're confronted with this question, how are we going to make disciples of 3,000 people? Uh, early in Billy Graham's ministry, he was confronted with the same problem. Uh, we're probably familiar with Billy Graham. He would do these huge revivals, and his message was so simple. It was usually, uh, you know, uh, uh, confronting people with the fact that they're sinful and that God is holy and that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And then he'd give this invitation, come, come, come forward, come place your trust in Jesus Christ. And people would come by the thousands. They would come forward repenting and, and saying, we, we want to trust Jesus. Well, this went on and shortly Graham was confronted with the fact like, what do we do about these people? Because we blow into town and then we blow out. And there's thousands of people who have just put their hope in Jesus Christ, but, but what are we going to do to make sure that they grow to maturity? And so Graham partnered with a, a guy named Dawson Trotman. He had met Dawson Trotman when he was a student in Wheaton College. Dawson Trotman had started an organization called The Navigators, which was known for discipleship. 
the navigators would, would form these one-on-one -on -one relationships and these small groups, and they'd raise people to discipleship. And so he got together with Dawson and, and convinced him that they would do these crusades, and then when they left, they would hand it off to the navigators, and they'd hand off all of these people to local churches who would then come along and, and raise them up to maturity. 3,000 converts, what do we do now? And so the question that, that I want to raise is, is whether it's 3,000 or it's three, how do we make disciples? What's our plan for, for making disciples? And so when we read in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, what I believe we're getting is the disciples' answer to that question. I believe they had an emergency board meeting. Like we've got 3,000 people, and we're responsible to raise them to maturity. What are we going to do? So as we turn to the, the scripture... The question I want us to consider, does this plan still have legs for 2021? Does this plan that we're going to read about, does it still have merit today? Is this a good formula for us? So Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were, done, signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And... The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what we talked about last week was that word devotion. They were uh, devoted to these things. There was a, an expectation, and, and you might say that they had set the bar really high. It's hard, actually, for us to imagine, because today, I feel a pressure. I think we all feel a pressure how do we lower the bar so as to make it easy for people to follow Christ? Because we don't want to scare anybody away. We don't want to intimidate anybody. But it seems the early church went the exact opposite direction. They raised the bar. They said, this is what it's going to take to follow Christ. And, and it's understandable why they did that. Because they had the words of Jesus fresh in their ears still ringing in their ears. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever's unwilling to give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We're called to go and make disciples, and a disciple has to be somebody who's willing to give up everything. If you're not willing to give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Those words are fresh in their ears. Perhaps they thought back to the, the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler said, I, I have. I've done that. I've worked hard to keep the commandments. But Jesus knew the one thing that this this man valued above all else his wealth. 
And so, he, of course, he put his finger on that, and he said, go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and then follow me. And that man went away with his head downcast because, because this was the one thing he valued above everything else. And today, I might feel the pressure to chase after him. Say, wait, come back. I mean, God doesn't really call you to give everything away. He calls us to give 10% a tithe. And, and even that's optional. Come back. But Jesus didn't do that. And the disciples didn't do that. Now, th there's a bit of irony in our logic of wanting to lower the bar to make it really easy to, to, to come and follow Christ. And the irony is that people, I think God has placed within all of us a desire to live into a story that's bigger than ourselves. The fact is, when we pursue this easy life, the, the life of convenience and just what is, is easy for us, we're not satisfied. We were created for more than that. We want to give our lives to a, to a story in which we're not the hero, a story that's bigger than ourselves. And if, and if it's not pursuing God, and it's not living for his kingdom, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find a substitute. Because that is so hardwired into who we are to live into a story bigger than ourselves that if we're not doing it with God, we're going to do it with something else. And it might be something that's ridiculous. We might make our sports team the big story that we live into. Like it dominates our life. So the bar of expectation is high. It requires devotion. They're going to raise disciples who are following Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. If you want to follow me, you follow in this way. And so, so they're raising disciples, and they devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How are we going to help these 3,000 people become disciples? And imagine the disciples, they're, they're, the 12 disciples, they're having this conversation, and one of them says, well, what did Jesus do with us? Well, he told us a lot of stories told us a lot of parables. He was always teaching us. He was walking with us. He invited us to live with him. So, so maybe what we should do with the 3,000 is tell them the stories that Jesus told us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. At that time, the New Testament had not yet been written, so it wasn't like they could just give those 3,000 people a copy of the, the New Testament and say, go and read this. It was actually going to require sitting down, eyeball to eyeball, sharing the stories of Christ. And so Matthew, I imagine Matthew, speaking to a group of these new converts, and he's saying to them once, later he would write this down in his gospel, but now he's, the story is in him, and so he tells them, once Jesus told us this parable. It was a story about a farmer. And the farmer had all of the seed, and he went out and he scattered the seed, and some of it fell on the path, and the birds of the air came and ate that seed. And then the farmer scattered some seed, and some of it fell amongst the, the rocky soil. And because the, the soil was shallow, the plant it sprung up really quickly, but then as soon as the sun came out, it withered and died. And then some of the seed, it fell on this soil next to the thorns. And the plant grew up. But then the thorns just choked it out and it died. But some of the seed, it fell on good soil. 
and it produced a crop a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. And when Jesus told this, Matthew is saying, he, he said, he finished the parable by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. And so those, those people, I imagine them hearing the apostles' teaching, and they asked the same questions that the disciples asked. Wait, we don't get it. What are you talking about? And Matthew responds, that's funny, because we said the same thing to Jesus. We don't get it. And so he went and he clarified. He, he told us the meaning of the parable. He said, when the message is heard, and yet it's not received with understanding, it's like that seed that is scattered on the path and the evil one comes and, and snatches it away before there's a plant that grows. And then the seed that is sown amongst the rocky soil is like that, that person who receives the word and, and there's great joy and there's quick growth. But because that person never sets roots down, there's nothing deep, there's nothing that's nourishing their faith. As soon as trouble comes, as soon as persecution comes, that plant withers and dies. And that seed that is planted amongst the thorns is like the person who receives the, the word and there's great joy and the plant begins to grow. But then there's these thorns. There's this deceitfulness of wealth. And it's so deceitful. It says, pursue me, give your life to me, and I'm going to provide everything you want. And there's the worries of this world. And there's so many worries. They come and the person who focuses on them, they get choked out and the plant dies. But then when the seed falls on good soil, that person who hears the word and, and sets down roots and avoids letting the deceitfulness of wealth consume them and, and the worries of the world overwhelm them, that seed produces a plant that produces a harvest, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. And so Matthew shares this with the, these new uh, believers, these young believers, and the wheels begin to turn in their mind. And they're asking themselves the same questions that we all should be asking ourselves right now. Which soil am I? Am I the, the, the hard soil in which there's, there's no understanding, no effort to, to understand? Am I the, the rocky soil that, that there's no roots, there's no practices that nourish my faith so that as soon as trouble comes or any hardship, I quickly fall away? Am I the, the soil where it's planted by thorns and, and I'm just consumed by the deceitfulness of wealth and all of the worries of this world and so my faith just kind of dies in the vine? Or my good soil, am I doing those things that I know God calls me to do so there, there can be life and sustainability to my faith? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning. But, but we need to think about that word learning in maybe a unique way. Often when we talk about learning, we think about learning in kind of a, kind of a Greek way. You know, think of the, the school classroom with all the desks in nice rows and everybody looking up to an instructor who imparts uh, knowledge to them and they, they listen to the instructor and they write it down and they memorize it to, to regurgitate it for a test. That's one style of learning and in some circumstances, it's a good style. It works for some, for some practices, for some disciplines. 
But in following Jesus and following the way and becoming a disciple, this is not an effective method of learning. It's not a transformative learning. Jesus actually taught in a different manner uh, that would lead towards a, a transformative learning. His process also involved information. Tell a parable, here's some information, tell a truth about God. But then that was followed up with practice. All right, now go do it. Right? Like we need to actually engage this. So Jesus would say, be my witnesses, and then he'd send out the 70. Go give it a shot. And then when you're done, come back and we're going to talk about it. We're going to debrief. We're going to reflect on it. And then we're going to do it again. This is the learning that, that God invites us to. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but it meant more than just acquiring information. Think about the parable that I just shared, the parable of the, the farmer and the soils. If we approach this from a, just like a knowledge standpoint, you might work to memorize the parable, and there's certainly power in that. You'd want to know the story. You might even go as far as like examine different soils and, and do some, some work on the soils and, and the best time to plant seed and the different types of seed. And, and it would be fascinating. But that's not going to get you to where God wants you. What's going to get you there is you learn about the parable and then you begin to put practices into your life. What, am I, what can I do to put down roots? What are the, the practices that I can engage in that will actually feed my faith? Now, that's transformation. That's transformative learning. It's one thing to know, like just intellectually, the Greek word is gnosko, to know about. It's another thing to know experientially. The Hebrew word is yada. It's like to know intimately, to know experientially. Do not merely listen to the word, James Wright, and so deceive yourself. It's really easy to do. Listen to the word, oh, that is good. And de deceive yourself into thinking, I've actually now done something, when all I've done is listen to it. Embedded in this devotion to the apostles' teaching is a conviction. And it's a conviction that the word of God has authority in my life. That, that it is... It is qualified. I, I'm making a good decision when I submit to it. That is a wise decision. The, the word of God is, is inspired. Timothy, he tells us it's profitable. It's good for you. It's good for teaching you. It's good for rebuking you. It's good for leading you in the way that you should go so that we are equipped for everything that God has for us. To try and live the Christian life apart from having this practice of, of embedding God's word in our, our life is like trying to, to grow grass without ever watering it. I tried that this spring, and, and I can tell you it doesn't work. Fortunately, God has bailed me out here and provided some of that water himself. So a couple nights ago, uh, I was doing dishes, and I was singing uh, to spotify singing james taylor love james taylor and uh that night went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night i don't know why i woke up but i woke up and you know what my mind was doing in my mind i'm going to carolina it's like without any effort without any thought i'm singing james taylor can't you just feel the sunshine 
think that those words they got in my brain and without me even thinking about it without me exerting any effort it's working inside my brain and i wake up in the middle of the night and silently i'm singing james taylor do you know what the bible says about the word of god it says it's living it's living and it's active it's not just alive but it like is active it's it's at work it's like yeast that God, when we, when we in, invite the word of God in, the word of God gets in there and this yeast begins to work. It's got this catalytic event and it, uh, action. It begins to do things without even us knowing. And it begins to work. It's living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. That means it's able to get into the places that we might not even want it to go. And, and it and it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The scripture says in Romans, faith actually comes from hearing the message, and the message is the word of Christ. And so a simple church, the bar is set high, but the plan is really simple. What do we devote ourselves to? Well, one of the things we devote ourselves to is the apostles' teaching, which is the teaching of Jesus, which is the teaching of God. We devote ourselves to that. In order to be a church that God wants us to be, there is no way to do that apart from regularly practicing together, filling our hearts, filling our minds with the transforming word of God. And so the question every one of us needs to be asking is, how am I doing with that? What are the practices in my life where I am getting God's word into my heart and into my mind and where I'm stepping out, actually getting into to action, practicing the word, not just hearing the word, but practicing the word. A simple church is spirit-filled, Christ-centered, devoted, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Join me as we pray. Father God, you're... Your word is living and active, and uh, Lord, forgive us uh, when we um, turn away from your word. Lord, when we are uh, that, that soil, that rocky soil that doesn't have roots. And Lord, forgive us when we allow the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth to consume us, and that we lose, lose sight of you. So Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us out individually. I also pray that you'd help us corporately, that together uh, that we might be more and more governed uh, by the truth and the power of your word. Lord, transform us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.